Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hello, I'm your host, Effie Pilarino, and today I have the pleasure to have with us uh, Dr. Ritesh uh, Jain, who wears multiple uh, hats. Uh, I'm going to mention some of the current hats. First of all, let me welcome you, Ritesh, and thank you for coming uh, and sharing your expertise and wisdom with us. Thank you, Effie. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you well, for let, let me let me try and um, paint a picture. As I said, you you have uh, you wear multiple hats and you have uh, uh, a non-standard uh, background. So currently, you are the founder of Infinite, which is a fintech itself. Um, you are on the Metaverse uh, Council uh, board. Uh, and correct me if I'm saying this uh, wrong. This is the World Metaverse Council. We, we'll talk about it. You earned a PhD in uh, payments, open banking, financial inclusion from the U- University of uh, Portsmouth, right? That's right. And, uh, and, and tell us a little bit about your journey to where you're at today briefly. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about your, your PhD. How come you decided to do a PhD and, and what is it about? Thank you, Effie. So in terms of my background, I'm a technologist and uh, I've wore various hats across in the corporate life. So I was leading the future of payments for Visa at one point of time, as well as leading the tokenization, which was the foundation for Apple Pay. Uh, so I had the opportunity to deliver Apple Pay for Apple and Visa. And then I ended up in a, some completely different business, which is a shipping. So I was leading the transformation at Maersk, and I was in the midst of the biggest ransomware incident in 2017. I uh, came back to banking again, so I was leading... Uh, the global digital function at HSBC, and uh, then I founded the FinTech. In terms of my PhD, so coming from the payments and banking background for long, I went on consulting company for 20 odd years and consulting uh, the various global financial banks and the payment companies, as well as sitting as a member advisor on G20, GPFI. So always keen around the financial inclusion. And at the same time, I've been pretty much engaged with the open banking from early days. Uh, so the payments, open banking, and the uh, financial inclusion, a greater combination. So it was related to my contribution in the industry and the work which I was doing related to building of the platform services and the capabilities. So the, my PhD is focused around the payments innovation, open banking, and the financial inclusion, and all its impact on the financial inclusion. So do you, um, is your focus financial inclusion mainly, or can we say that it's more on the open banking, open finance and financial inclusion is sort of the result of of this openness? So I would like to clarify this. There have always been a question whether the 
open banking or the open finance will address the challenge of the financial inclusion. And I said this many times in the past as well, that the financial inclusion is not a challenge of the financial services alone. It's a public policy challenge, right? Mm. So my PhD is mainly focused around the openness, around the open banking and the open finance and the payment innovation and the combination of it, as well as the impact of it on the financial inclusion. So do you look at both, uh, do you think at both uh, openness, which is policy driven and openness, which is market driven? Um, and, and do you look at it as something that is needed because customers need it? Or is it needed because we want, we want or businesses want to change the business model and have more network effects? What do you think is happening there? Uh, see, in, in terms of the openness, in the context of the business or the technology, right, it's about the degree of organizations willing to share their resources and the data and the capabilities, right, uh, with the, each other. And that's what it's all about. So whether it's within the organizations or, or with the individuals, right, it is basically for to foster the innovation and the collaboration and growth because the businesses or the individual, we can't really grow independently. So openness, it's all about the sharing, building that ecosystem where we can share the data, share the resources, right? Now, but while we talk about it, it's uh, whether we wanted it or the customer wanted it, it's both ways, right? Mainly it's a customer driven, uh, because what happened, or the regulatory driven as well. If we talk about, uh, I'll just pick up an example of the PSG2 over here, uh, that there was a significant challenge with the market concentration, as well as there was a significant challenge with uh, the wet taping. In terms of if somebody wanted to do an innovation, they want to bring a new product or services in the market, it was really difficult. And that's where the open banking started, right? The competition market authority came in play. and uh, that's where we the start of the open banking so that how we can build that collaborative innovative environment for the financial services and for the customer uh, to ease their pain as well so but there are challenges as well right when we talk about the openness the biggest challenge that openness is trying to solve is around the siloed data or the siloed resources right so a lot of organizations uh, they have got a significant amount of data or the resources which are siloed and they operate in that fashion, right? And they're not able to capitalize on this as well. So it is not only for the customer, but for themselves as well. So if we talk about openness in general, if we look into what happened uh, through the fintechs or the financial services, whether it's through the transformation or a fintech pushing the financial institutions for the innovation as well, uh, today, we are seeing the financial institutions are utilizing their data and resources in a much better way to provide the value to the customer. And yeah. that is helping. It's a win-win situation. So the openness is all about creating an environment in which the organizations are willing to share their data and the resources with the ecosystem. It's a, and, I like to think of it as... Uh... Um, intern first the internal API fication of, of a business, which 
mean silos. silos you know you 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 try to break the silos internally to capitalize mm -hmm. on your resources and then you can go also externally uh, or you can do both at the same time i guess nothing happens neither at the one point in time nor you know it's it's a journey all this uh, um uh, move towards openness right it never stops precisely as you rightly said it's about the uh, transformation right and the transformation is a quest it's not a project or a program right you're constantly transforming the organization so uh, it starts from internal right so as you rightly said around the apification building better services and the products which can integrate with each other, which can utilize their capabilities internally, as well as ability of the institutions to uh, expose their capability to the outside world. And that's where the open banking came into the play as well, right? Yeah. So what we define as the open banking is washing up your dirty laundry in an open space. That's where we started. <laughs> that's a nice analogy. <laughs> A nice analogy. Ridesh, you, you, you are a global uh, citizen. You know, you, you, you are in the UK, you're in the Middle East, you're in India. I never know where you are exactly, but you're sort of moving in, in those regions. I know recently you attended the, the, the big tech uh, summit leap in, in uh, Saudi. Um, and I wanted to ask you uh, the, the pulse from from that uh, summit and from that region with respect to this openness in especially in financial services embedded financial services e-commerce you know all these trends are are very important and interconnected these days uh couldn't agree more with that and uh, thank you for bringing this up it was a phenomenal experience to be honest uh, I was in LEAP, so LEAP is basically learn, engage, accelerate, and progress. It's an initiative by the Saudi Arabian uh, General Investment Authority, right? And it's all about to promote openness and the collaboration and uh, to bring the foreign investment, talent, uh, organizations, institutions together uh, to learn and grow. It's the kind of openness that I've seen in Saudi now. It's phenomenal. And uh, I'm very, very optimistic about the future of Saudi as well. It's basically uh, a decade is for Saudi, to be honest, in terms of the innovation. I've seen the uh, prototypes and the models of uh, various projects over there, which is one of its own kind. They are going to lead the world. So I've said this earlier on the stage as well, Saudi is seeing the invisible. And one of the key uh, learnings from the LEAP is the importance of the creating a supportive ecosystem, right, uh, for entrepreneurship and the, uh, innovation. So LEAP has brought together the various in, in investors, stakeholders, the organizations, and it is not just from the investment perspective, it's basically bringing them together, a build up this ecosystem and collaborative environment whether it's for the payment capability, whether it's the Saudi payments trying to innovate themselves or the Sama's innovations in the open banking space or the various other fintech spaces, not only the fintech, but if you think about from the metaverse or the artificial intelligence perspective, as you know, a lot of crypto companies or the metaverse companies, they are moving their base into Gulf region or in the kingdom, 
So it's phenomenal experience. You know, let's connect this with your uh, recent role in this World Metaverse Council. What is that uh, about? Who? What's the mission? Who's involved? So uh, the Metaverse Council focuses around uh, building an ecosystem and environment for people to communicate and share and uh, do the advocacy, the policy advocacy as well, and bringing the partners, whether it's the uh, government, the policymakers, and the institutions together, and uh, create an, uh, policies and help and support in creating the policies around the metaverse, as well as build and grow uh, the companies as well, and help and support the education institutions. Too. So if you uh, talk about the metaverse today, the unfortunately and the fortunately, it's a buzzword, right? Everybody is talking about it. But in terms of the knowledge and the experience and the depth of knowledge is very, very limited. So the metaverse council is taking a center stage. We're connecting the dots from the economic policies to the policymakers, to the governments and uh, the corporates. Is it is is it um, a participation, a membership, an association of different individuals from academics, from practitioners, from entrepreneurs, or is it mainly the big corporates that are already investing in in the metaverse in different ways? You know, from the apples to to the facebooks and and so on. So it's an association of the uh, industry leaders started. Uh, so the whole idea started with the industry leaders coming together uh, with an objective and bringing uh, the corporates and the government institutions as well, including the education institutions too. So that's what the whole idea, because it's a building of this collaborative environment, bringing that openness from the uh, industry, institutions, okay. as well as from the governments. You know, I, I, when I think of the metaverse, I think that there's two main areas that, you know, are, are already showing us what the metaverse is about, and that is gaming and, and education. And mm -hmm. I think that those two are the most sort of possible to, to scale uh, ahead of others, you know, in, in the short term. How do you see those areas linked to, to open banking, especially gaming rather than education. Do you see those links? Are we too far away from that world? What do you see there? Uh, no, not really. In terms of the metaverse, uh, I would say, uh, yes, as you rightly said, it's mainly focused around the gaming as well as uh, the education. But there are a lot more use cases which are building up as well, uh, right? And uh, gaming and the education is quite easy to relate with it because obviously uh, because of the AR VR experience. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot more use cases when you think around you're building an ecosystem. Then obviously one got to make a payments, right? One got to accept the payments and uh, the variety of the payments today that we are talking about. It's not only the fiat. If we are also looking into the cryptos, we have got the NFTs and the whole ecosystem, right? So in terms of the open banking, there's a huge uh, opportunity in the uh, scope as well. Uh, for an example, like TransUnion has uh, launched their 
uh, gaming uh, capability as well. So it's basically for the mindful gaming as well as responsible gaming. So it can, uh, um, again, coming back to the open banking space. So uh, for the open banking and gaming too, there's a huge opportunity, right? With some of the initiatives are already there, like as I said, Quants Union, and uh, which is about the responsible gaming. Uh, recently, we have done a, a research and a report uh, from the policy institution where I'm as a fellow as well. Uh, it's about like whether your kids are on cocaine or whether they are gaming, because ultimately it's uh, both are all about the dopamine, right? And uh, so we got to be really conscious about that as well. Sorry, I don't want to deviate more. No, no, uh, there's nothing. Everything is connected. I mean, in my uh, uh, book, um, I'm surprised that we, we don't already have um, a banking institution that connects uh, financial wealth with emotional, physical, uh, and mental health. I mean, everything's health, right? And, and uh, those two are connected. So I, I can see the convergence of that world. I've also personally attended some metaverse uh, summits uh, during um, the WEF in Davos and, and, and here. Um, and I was surprised to hear that there are use cases for mental health in the metaverse because you can you know go in that space and and visualize different worlds and and uh, it can be used as a therapeutic um, um, means and this comes from from researchers of course these are not scaled cases but back to our open banking and and to one of the points that you made earlier Ritesh that you were talking about the importance of an entire ecosystem and mm -hmm. in in India we have the unique example where we have this public infrastructure UPI that mm -hmm. has unlocked the network effects and you know it's a private public collaboration uh, at, at this stage and, and a very important one in terms of fintech innovation and, and open banking. And now they've even taken a step further to go cross-border and um, establish uh, a, a cross-border collaboration with Singapore. So now we have UPI linked uh, to, to pay now. Yep. I know you are very knowledgeable on this um, um, subject matter, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on, on UPI and then ask you a, um, a sort of tricky question about uh, whether the Fed now architecture has copied UPI or has been inspired by, by UPI. So uh, let's take a first on uh, the UPI and then we can uh, drill down onto that as well. Thanks, Effie, for uh, bringing this up. So unified, uh, unified payments in interface, right? It's a real-time payment system within the country, which is launched by the NPCI and well-known, well-recognized, and I call it as an epitome of the digital payments in the world, right? Launched in 2016, and I... Fortunate enough, I can say that uh, I have got my involvement into the uh, global payments program, uh, whether it's uh, UPI or the P27 in Nordics or the Fed now in US in one or the other capability, right? 
the world knows about the digital payments, world knows about uh, the UPI and its penetration, and India is the leading space, has got the leading space in the digital payments in the world. Similarly, uh, Singapore came up with the Pay Now in 2018, which is influenced by the uh, UPI as well, right? And both uses the similar sort of capability in terms of making the payments, the virtual private addresses, or the mobile numbers to make the payments as well, right? Now, a couple of years back, uh, UPI and MAS announced that they are going to integrate, and uh, that was a great uh, decision as well. In terms, it's a openness again, uh, fostering that collaboration across the different payment infrastructure and making it more like a real-time payment, uh, not like it's a real-time payment infrastructure uh, globally. So it's India is taking that leap, going for the cross-border payments. Uh, with its neighboring countries and global countries as well. And I'm being cautious about what I'm saying in terms of the uh, some of the countries where uh, some plants are already there at the moment as well. So India has taken that leap to going cross-border and making that as a real-time payment infrastructure globally. It's a massive uh, benefit for the trade, for the individuals, and the uh, the organizations as well. It reduces the cost significantly, operational efficiency as we know that is already there and ease of use. So it's phenomenal innovation. At the same time, uh, I come from the G20 GPFI background as well, which is the global partnership for financial inclusion. And the India is inching closer towards the G20's vision of the cross-border payment as well as uh, the easier, convenient payment for the people. But the, it's also connected with the digital identity, right? Which exists uh, in India and in Singapore and in many other countries, it does not uh, exist. So, so it's kind of a, a combination of these that makes um, this uh, work and makes it possible. Whereas, uh, for example, in Europe, we have these different real-time payment systems, but we don't have the digital identity systems at the level, if you want, uh, in, that, that exists in India or in Singapore. Precisely, and that's where I talk about uh, the DPI and the DPGs, which is basically the digital public infrastructure and the digital public goods. So uh, the way India has taken the lead uh, in terms of the digital infrastructure, that is phenomenal. Uh, world knows where we come from, what we have done over the period of time, as well as what India is doing at this point of time. So building up these digital infrastructure where the digital public goods can be built up like UPI and can be replicated in the different part of the world. Similarly, there are open source infrastructure which have been built up by uh, some of the institutions within the country and which are open source infrastructure for unique identity and which have been replicated across many countries in Southeastern as well as Africa. Yeah. But it seems to me, Ritesh, that the rest of the world is more putting its focus and energy on all these CBDC pilots um, uh, rather than 
you know, um, this type of digital infrastructure for public goods. And I mean, they could coexist, but 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 they don't. Um, I think the resources are are going uh, there, uh, whether it's human resources or or the market is really um, full of these projects and and not so much focus on uh, the kind of digital infrastructure product, uh, projects at that level that could have huge uh, network effects. Uh, that that's the reality. Uh, that's right, Effie. Uh, I have got a view over here in terms of uh, I've been involved and associated in the CVDC's project as well as some of the initiatives and uh, some of the institutions as well who are driving the initiatives for the uh, central bank digital currency. Now, yes, we are inching cl uh, closer to the central bank digital currency, but let's not forget. Uh, we still live in a world where uh, the cash is, is still pretty much in rotation, right? And uh, so it depends on uh, the economies of uh, where we can get CBDCs as a success in the retail space, right? And uh, I wouldn't go and argue about uh, the commercial space, right? Or the wholesale that we all know that it is pretty good use case for the wholesale. But when it comes down to the retail CBDCs, we're still seeing the challenge. Uh, let's look into Nigeria, what's happening with the eNeva. Let's look into India as well. India has already uh, testing this, right? But the digital payment infrastructure, this is the requirement for today. The CBDCs, yes, it will not replace uh, the UPI infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they will have to coexist because uh, that's the demand and that's the user requirement. It seems to me that uh, we have a lot of innovation uh, needed at that infrastructure uh, level and, and we're going to have many rails, uh, even new rails or renovated rails. And we're going to be in a sort of this intermediate phase um, and, and fragmented phase for quite a while before we really are able to, to replace the whole infrastructure, whatever that is. And the vision, the future, probably the most possible scenario is that we will have many types of monies <laughs> around and we need many types of rails, right, to, to accommodate uh, all these types of um, value transfers um, uh, around around the world as as the innovation continues and the fragmentation continues. Couldn't agree more with Afi. Uh, as you rightly said, uh, the payment rails have to coexist for the variety of the payments and the infrastructure uh, because we can't really see uh, at this point of time uh, that one sort of payment instrument will take over another straightforward. Uh, I don't see that happening, specifically in the larger and growing economy. Uh, and let's not forget that we have got a separate challenges, as you rightly said, around the unique identity. That is the fundamental challenge, apart from the physical infrastructure, the network connectivity, and uh, the devices. So uh, the overall infrastructure requirement for the variety of the payment instruments and the rails, uh, it's not there. And it is time-taking process. 
Yes, and, and those things cannot happen overnight. Uh, exactly. Two questions before we close. One, I have to touch on Apple. Um, you know, it's been um, on, on the news with its savings account. Of course, this is in the US and it's only for Apple Card users. But we also have to watch what Apple is doing in India. They are shifting mm -hmm. um, their, their supply chain there, right? They, they have increased the, the, the amount of uh, iPhone production over the past two years. And uh, I think there's a big investment clearly in the country for many reasons. So I can't stop but ask, stop myself from asking, you know, why not link the Apple wallet or the Apple FinTech world with the UPI system? Can you see that happening in some way? See, uh, let's just start with what you said. Apple is investing in India for obvious reason because once you have to, uh, there's a regulatory requirement as well as well as uh, uh, in terms of the investments uh, when uh, you have a market share, right? So uh, that's why uh, one of the reasons, as well as uh, if you see, if you look into from the cost perspective and the operations perspective, it makes sense for Apple uh, to invest in India, right? Yeah. Given the size of the market as well and some of the challenges in the other market uh, where they have been. Now, in terms of uh, Apple as becoming a FinTech, right? Or becoming a bank, as you already said. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even thinking that they'll become a bank. I'm really wondering whether they will take their FinTech uh, services to 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 India, which they don't have a big presence, even you know, from an iPhone perspective, or I'm not aware that they have, you know, any of the their fintech payments there, and it is a very big market. Precisely, couldn't agree more. It's a sizable market, and uh, one of the largest country in the world as of now. And uh, Apple has got a decent presence, and the presence is going to go with the operations over here. Uh, because that could impact the pricing as well up to a certain extent. I'm not alluding to anything. But at the same time, uh, connecting to the UPI wallet, that is not there. And uh, I'm not saying that is not a possibility. That could be a possibility. And it will open up a significant market for Apple. But Apple has to uh, commit as well as invest in, uh, in the ecosystem as well. And there's a significant competition when it comes down to the pay payment players in the country as well. Uh, as you rightly know about the phone pay and the, uh, and the Google and the Paytm, right? They, they take over around 95%, over 95% of the market as well. So yes, there's a significant competition, but if UPI connects with the Apple wallet, that's a significant milestone for Apple. It's going to be a significant milestone for Apple because it will open up a lot of opportunities for the Apple in the yeah. country. Yeah, and now that they are starting to open physical stores, so who knows how that will impact um, the brand, right? Because it's all, it's connected, the branding, the hardware, the software, uh, everything's um, connected in this uh, market. So before we close, uh, what are your final thoughts or what are you excited about in terms of this openness uh, which areas in financial services uh, you think there's more potential, more opportunity? Is it payments? Is it the credit part? 
insurance. I mean, there's so many areas that openness can have a huge impact. What are you seeing? What are you excited about? Now, see, I'm very excited about the open finance as a whole, open banking and open finance. So I call it as an open banking is the stepping stone for the open finance, right? And uh, then the open data that we are uh, talking about. So basically, it is giving a significant opportunity. I still see a huge play in the payment space and a lot more play in the credit space, right? Or you talk about any country in the world or the businesses, right? They only make money when they lend money. And credit is a huge market. We have seen that with the buy now, pay later, and how it has uh, taken a step forward in no time. And how uh, different companies have built up over the period of time. Yes, I'll not talk about the valuation though, Afi, uh, as we all know. Yeah. But uh, huge scope for the credit side, whether it is in the retail, and a lot more scope in the MSME lending. Right, mm -hmm. uh, countries like India is struggling with the MSME lending, and even the players from the uh, UK and European market are getting into the Indian landscape uh, for the MSME lending, like Tide, and and quite a few other brands as well. So it's a huge market and a huge opportunity with the open banking and the capability of the data sharing and the collaboration. It's a great market for the insurance and any other sector, to be honest. But what I see and I'm more focused around the credit. So India is a huge market for the credit card as well, because it's, it's still a very early time for the India for the credit card market, because the penetration across the tier three, four and five cities are yet to be there. And uh, MSME is always a great market. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen some numbers um, uh, from studies lately that really there's a huge opportunity in India to, to offer credit to, to SMEs and, and their percentage of SMEs in the market that is unbanked, if you want, in, in that uh, respect of, of uh, the credit. Thank you so much, um, uh, Ridesh, for your time. It was uh, delightful. And I will share with our audience where they can find you as you're always very present on, on LinkedIn and they can follow your activities. Thank you, Afi. And it's a pleasure to speak to you. and. Uh... Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.